this week. Because I read it, you're going to now hear it. A sergeant was explaining to a group of soldiers about who were about to make their first parachute jump. He was explaining uh, what to do if their main parachute doesn't open. Snap back immediately into a tight body position, then pull the ripcord on your reserve chute, and it will open, bringing you safely to the ground. A private nervously raised his hand. What's your question, soldier? The sergeant called out. He said, Sergeant, if my main parachute doesn't open, how long do I have to pull my reserve? The sergeant looked directly into the young private's eyes and replied earnestly, the rest of your life, soldier, the rest of your life. (laughs) Problem is, a lot of us live like that, don't we? We have these things that we want to do or adjustments or changes we want to make in our life. Some of us have bucket lists, lists of experiences and so on. And we kind of live with this mentality that we have what? We have the rest of our life. We'll eventually we'll get to it because we have the rest of our life. But a little bit like this man coming down in a parachute, we don't know how long the rest of our life actually is. We don't know if we've got the rest of today, the rest of the next month. Have I got the next year? Have I got the next 50 years? I mean, I personally am planning on dying in 104. That's my goal. I want to make it to 104 and I think I'll, I think I'll do it. I'm backing myself. In. Jackie said she doesn't want to hang around that long, um, but, but I will hang around <laughs> for 104 years. That's, that's the plan at the moment. No, it wasn't that she doesn't want to hang around that long with me. That's not true. Um, I've got nothing with that one. But we live as if we've got forever. We live like that, that these things we want to do, these decisions that we're going to make and so on, that we have forever to make those decisions. We have the rest of our life. And the reality of the fact is that's actually true. You have the rest of your life to make the decisions you need to make. You have the rest of your life to make the choices you need to make. You have the rest of your life to fix those things that are broken that you want to fix. You have the rest of your life to focus on the things that are important. You have the rest of your life to, to readjust your priorities. You have the rest of your life. But the downside is we don't know how long the rest of our life actually is. And I think everybody sitting here, unless you know something I don't know and God's spoken to you or you, you know something, I think most of us would agree we don't know how long the rest of our life is. You know what's even worse? For believers, I think, for those who call ourselves Christians, we have this other side of life where we have goals and things that we want to do too. It's called that spiritual side of life. There's the God part of our world that we want to uh, build up and that we want to invest into and so on. So we've got all these things over here with our natural world and our our goals and our our plans and the things we want to do and the relational things that we want to achieve and the bucket list of places and experiences. But we also have a spiritual side to life as well that we don't want to neglect. We need to invest into if, if it's really that important to us. We want to invest into that side of life. But you know what I find with most people, with a lot of people, is that when it comes to the spiritual side of life, that's the area where we feel like I've got the rest of my life. I've got the rest of my life to get into that habit. I've got the rest of my life to get myself right with God. I've got the rest of my life to, to develop the, the, the spiritual disciplines that I know I'll probably need if I want to grow in my faith and, and grow in who I am and so on. We tend to think we have the rest of our life. And again, that's a reality and it's a truth. You have the rest of your life, but you don't know how long the rest of your life is going to be. I was reading in the Old Testament this week. I've been sort of going back through it the last few weeks and reading all the stories of the early kings of Israel and Judah and so on. And in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6, the Bible says this, 
It says, now David, King David, who we all know was a man after God's own heart, now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Let me give you a context here. David had gone out to fight a battle against another nation. While he went out the front door of the city to attack, some armies came in the back door of his own city and attacked his city. So while he's out here attacking somebody else, defending against an army, an invading army came in the back door. They plundered the city, they took all the choice stuff, and they took the women and the children, and then they took off. And so David comes back to the city, and all the men that went out with him turn around and go, well, David, you, you're the one that led us out there to this battle. You're the one that left nobody back here to defend the city. And they turn around and they say, well, David, this is all your fault. We've lost our children. We've lost our livelihood. We've lost our homes, all the things we've saved up. and that's, We've lost it all because of you, David. And they got so frustrated and angry, the Bible tells us that they spoke to each other, said, you know what? I think we need to stone this guy. And it's not stone him like guys get stoned today. It's Old Testament stoning when they actually threw rocks at you. And they're talking of stoning the king. It says, now David was greatly distressed. Go figure. I reckon I would be too. If you all decided to start tossing stones up in your hands and go, well, what do you reckon, people? Start talking. I'd probably be a bit nervous as well. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was so heavily grieved. Understandable. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But watch this. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in God. You know, in 2018, I'm going to go through a whole bunch of probably highly charged situations. I'm going to go through a whole bunch of highly charged scenarios. I'm just presuming here the potential for highly charged environments is, is fairly high because we all go through them. We all go through really stressed situations, whether they be relational issues with children or with our, our partners, our spouses whether they be issues at work where we're, we're just not getting on with the boss or we're not getting on with co-workers or we can't meet deadlines and we're feeling that pressure, whether it be a physical pressure, maybe we're not, the body can't do what it, what it used to do and there's that sense of disappointment and, and, you know, it happens to us when we get a bit older and we slow down and so on. There can be many, many things that can happen in life that cause these high-pressured charged scenarios. And you know what we tend to do if I'm struggling in this natural area uh, I've got a relational issue going on here. I want to attack it from a natural relational perspective. I want let's sit down, let's talk, let's get some counseling, let's do all this. David, I'm sure in this situation, the go-to would have made sense, I think, in today's day to, okay, rally the troops, give them a great speech, motivate them, let's get on our horses and let's charge back out the back door after the army and let's take this all back. And then I can redeem myself and you won't want to stone me and I'll be the hero again. But instead of making plans to run out there and to fix the situation in the natural, the Bible says the first thing David did was he strengthened himself in God. He strengthened himself in God. With all this going on, with everything happening around him, his priority was, you know what, there's a spiritual side to my life and I've got to strengthen myself in that. I've got to make sure that, that, that I'm grounded in God, make sure that I'm balanced, make sure I'm focused right because when I'm strong in that side of life, I can tackle these other things with more effectiveness. When I'm strong in that side of life, I have better perspective on how to adjust and how to fix and how to go about. And the story goes on that out of this, they did. They charged down, they caught up with the army, they beat them up, stole everything back, plus took what the other army had. And David comes out on top and wins and he's the hero. But the starting point for David was this, I'm going to strengthen myself in God 
first. How many of us are like that when we're in those, those highly pressured, stressful situations? Our go-to straight away is before I do anything, I'm going to strengthen myself in God first. Hands up if you're like that. That's my hands down if you're outside the first like, row. I'm not like that. I wish I was. I wish my default was to go and strengthen myself in God every time, but it's not. I'm a work in progress. I hate to disappoint you, but I'm a work in progress. And I'm sure most of us here are works in progress. But you know what? I think if we're going to be successful in 2018, you know, the world is changing. Who knows that? The world is changing. It's changing. They went through a period where the world, or the Western world, or even our nation, was highly embracing of Christianity, its values of, 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 of its God, highly embracing. I mean, Christianity was great. We wouldn't have education in the Western world if the Christians didn't start educational facilities, hospitals, um, welfare things. It was the Christians that looked at the world around us and went, you know what, human beings have value regardless of what side of the tracks you come from. You're hurting, you're broken, let's do something to help. And eventually it, it became a government thing and the state took it on board. But, but it's amazing what the church has started in the world in terms of welfare and trying to help people. Yeah, there was a time in, in this country where we, 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 we existed and, and you know, people took their kids. Even if you, you weren't a regular church goer, you took your kids to Sunday school. And there were people you didn't even believe in God, but you would still go to church Sunday morning because it was what you did. It was almost a cultural thing. And there was an embracing that this is okay. You could talk about God. You would have God in the schools and so on. It, it suddenly turned and it became a little bit, okay, well, hang on a second. Now we're not as embracing. We've got the God side over here and the non-God side, but we can coexist. We're happy to coexist and be gracious to the God side of things and we'll let you have your church and we'll let you have um, RE in schools and we'll let you read the Bible in public and we'll let you do all this sort of stuff. You know, it's shifting again and Christianity is getting less tolerated now and pushed further and further away and, and that grey space where we coexisted is disappearing. And so we're living in a world that's getting less and less tolerable of the Christian side of life. Not less and less tolerable of spirituality because, you know, there's a million gods out there and you can pick and choose and, and do whatever you want. And you can, you, can, you can walk down the street and declare you're a Buddhist and talk about Buddha and no one's going to care. You can walk down and say you're a Muslim and talk about uh, uh, Muhammad and so on and people might panic a little bit. I'm not sure how far into it you are. But generally speaking, it's okay. You can be a, 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 a Shintoist, you can be any number of religions, and it's kind of okay, but if you're a Christian, we're just not sure anymore. We're, we're less and less tolerated, and that's the world in which we are going in. I think that as believers, if we don't learn to strengthen ourselves in God, if we don't learn to prioritize that side of life, we'll end up getting sucked in with popular culture. You can already see it. We're already being pressured to compromise on what we think is right and wrong. We're already being pressured to compromise on your sense of value. We're already being pressured to compromise on, and you know, it's okay you have Jesus, but you can have all these. Uh, there are so many areas of compromise that society is pushing uh, Christianity down and pushing believers down. But if we're not strong in God, without realizing it, we'll slowly go down that path ourselves. We'll wake up one day and we'll go, hang on a second, I actually don't even know what I believe anymore. I don't even know what I believe. You know, I think there are four things that we need to do. As believers, if we're going to strengthen ourselves in God, and I believe it's really important in this day and age that we be people that strengthen ourselves in God. Now, what I love about this is that David did this himself. Nobody did it for him. David did it. It was a decision David made to strengthen himself. He strengthened himself. I can't strengthen you in God. You know, come to church here. I can I can study and research and try to, to, to motivate you and give you the Word of God. We can give you. We we can stand here and play worship and practice and give you an opportunity to worship. You don't have to worship. I can preach the word of God and open up the Bible and try to encourage you to get into it. You don't have to get into it. 
You don't have to do anything I say unless you've made the decision within yourself that this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And David strengthened himself. And we've got to have that attitude inside of us that I've made the decision myself. It's a bit like Coxie was saying. He made the decision that he's going to read this year. You know, no one can make Michael read. No one can make him make that decision to read this year. It's a decision that he has to make. But when you make that decision, it's, it's amazing the power of God that gets behind that and that I will factor and how God gets behind that. And all of a sudden, those decisions we make, not that we're going to try it. We talked about it last week. We're not trying it. We made the decision we're going to do it. So last week we talked about making that decision and what was that one thing we wanted to do this year and so on, uh, you know, uh, in terms of a New Year's resolution or whatever. I want to be more specific this week and I want to say you can have your natural resolutions. You can have the things on your bucket list. You can have all the things about health and fitness and finance and all those goals and they're wonderful, have them. But I'm challenging you and encouraging you, you should also have some spiritual goals this year. You should also have some things in place spiritually that you're just as passionate about to strengthen yourself in God and to build up that spiritual side of life. I believe there are four things that we need to do to strengthen ourselves in God. I won't get through all of them today. We'll do this over a couple of weeks. But the four things are this. Firstly, I think we need to be in the Bible. Secondly, we need to be connecting with people, other believers. Thirdly, we need to be pouring ourselves into somebody else. The Bible calls it discipleship. We need to be making disciples, pouring ourselves into others. And fourthly, I believe we need to be sharing our faith. Four things that I believe are important for us as individuals if we want to strengthen ourselves this year. Four habits, if you want to put it that way. Four disciplines, if you want to use that term, that we need to get into our natural, we get into our spiritual life, that if we do those things, we'll be strengthening ourselves in God and we'll finish this year and look back and go, well, I can see that I've made real spiritual progress. Spiritual progress. Not just, yes, I've lost my 10 kilos or not just, yes, I can now run five kilometers without taking a break or, yes, I've reached my million-dollar goal, but spiritual progress where we've grown in God. Number one, the Bible. Number two, connection with people, with believers. Number three, pouring yourself into others, discipling somebody. And fourth, sharing our faith. I want to talk a little bit in the remaining time we have this morning about the first one, the Bible. You know, often we absolve ourselves from any responsibility to interact with the Word of God. It's amazing how many people this morning are sitting in churches and they're listening to somebody preach. And what they're more focused on is the messenger and not the message. When church is finished, they're going to go away and they're going to either say that was a good message or a bad message and it will have nothing to do with the content. It'll have to do with whether the preacher was funny. It'll have to do whether uh, he captivated their attention. It'll have to do uh, with a whole bunch of other things that primarily revolve around a speaker and not the message being spoken. See, I'm a, I'm a firm believer. I don't care who you are. You get in front of me, you open the word of God, I can learn something. You get in front of me and you open the word of God because it's not me. The power's not me throwing words at you. I believe that this word has power. I believe that the word of God is transformative in nature. It can change us if we embrace it and we approach it with the right perspective from the right angle. Our primary focus should be on the message and not the messenger. Our Christianity today, and this was just a few days ago, Wednesday the 3rd of January, so five days ago, whatever it was, they, they ran this story. And the story uh, revealed that research shows only two in ten Christians in Australia read their Bible daily. So if we were to go around this room with 30 people here, there'd only be, what, six six of us. Six of us would be daily into the Word of God. We claim to have faith in Jesus. We claim the power of the cross. 
We claim the grace of God. We claim the presence of the Holy Spirit. We claim that this uh, book is from God. We, we, but two out of ten Christians in Australia actually have a daily habit of picking up the Bible and reading it. And that's not... The survey wasn't how long, like, you know, two in ten read it for more than half an hour. It's read period. Average of two in ten. This book is so powerful. We try to say to the world that, you know, the values that come out of this book and who this book talks about and what this book's about and so on, the importance of it and so on. We try to speak this and we say this to the world around us, but only two in ten of us even bother to pick it up each day and look at it. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, the average American home has 4.4 Bibles in it. The average American home has 4.4 Bibles in it. I reckon in Australia it would probably be less, but I still reckon if you average it out across this country, there'd still be two, two, three Bibles per home in this nation. And as believers, the ones who claim to have faith in it and believe it and live by it, two in ten, I thought that was an amazing statistic. I was challenged by that. I thought, you know, I don't want to be the eight out of ten. That's not the testimony I want for my life. I don't want to be the eight out of ten. I want to be the two out of ten. And I hope everybody in this room wants to be in that group of the two out of ten. A survey uh, that was done a few years ago about why people don't read. The question was asked to them, why don't you read the Bible? And the top four answers were this. Number one, I don't like reading. I don't like reading. What's amazing is people don't like reading, but if I was to ask you, how many posts on Facebook have you read in the last week? Or do you braille your Facebook? <laughs> what a load. I don't like reading. We, we, we read. We live in a society where we read a lot. Social media, has, social media is this addictive thing that is really addicting people to read. But it's what you're reading about. I'm addicted to reading about everybody else's life. I'm addicted to, to, to reading about your souffle sausage sandwich that you made and you put a photo on at the Sunshine Set Strip Boulevard Cafe in Boogaland somewhere. I don't know. I mean, I've never been there. I don't like the food. I don't even barely know you, but I'm really interested in your life. I'm going to read. Oh, wow, look at that. And I'll scroll through. And before I even wake up, instead of picking up the Word of God for five minutes and putting a bit of the, the life of God in me and the Word of God in me, I've read about 100 people's lives and what they've done in the last 12 hours. But I don't like reading. I hate reading. What a load. We read all the time, you know. But this was the number one reason I don't like reading. Wow, who are you kidding? Let's be real here, people. We don't mind reading. We're just not that passionate about this. So we read everything else. Number two read, uh, reason, it's boring. It's boring. Well, you know, I've never understood that, actually. Even if I wasn't a believer. Tell me, how many novels are out there? I mean, there's intrigue. There's violence. There's aggression. There's wars. There's love, there's passion. There's other things that I won't mention before 8.30. There's all kinds of things in there. There's relationships, there's strength in relationships. There's, there's, there's family fractions where they break down, there's treason. There's I thought you loved me but you knocked me in the back. There's all this stuff, all the stuff that writers sit around for years trying to come up with bestsellers and include all this stuff in it. And yet here it is here in the biggest selling book of all time. But it's boring. This is boring. Uh, I don't know that it's that boring. I think you haven't researched it and you haven't read it. That's why you think it's boring. But I'll tell you what, even if you simply approach it as a historical document or as a bunch of stories, it's got some pretty cool stuff in that book. There's some pretty cool stuff in there. I don't think it's boring. The third reason 
Why people said they don't want to read it is it's too hard to understand. It's just too hard to understand. Well, so was your iPhone 77 manual when you bought it. But you persevered. So was the latest Gidgy Gadgy, Blu-ray, Pink Ray, Brown Ray, Exono X-ray machine played, got plugged into your TV. But you somehow worked out how to... You read the manual and you worked out how to understand it. Too hard to understand. You know what? Again... I don't think it's too hard to understand. There might be things in the Bible that are a little bit confusing, but you know what? Bibles are so beautifully made now with things under the bottom where you can, I don't understand that, and you go down the bottom and you're reading the footnotes or you cross-reference or ask somebody. If you don't like reading manuals, what do you do when you get your iPhone 77SBZ? You don't like reading manuals? What do you do, Jackie? You call the kids and you ask the kids to set it up for you. Hey? You get somebody involved in the process and you work it out. The fourth reason why they don't like reading their Bible is because I'm not sure I believe it. Well, do you believe everything you read on Facebook today? Come on! What a stupid excuse. I don't believe it. Do you really believe that that person's marriage is so beautiful? It's just lovely. Every morning he puts rose petals on my bed. You know? Oh, I have the greatest husband in the world. I have the great. My children are just perfect, perfect little children, perfect little children. Oh, do you believe that? Come on, let's be real. And then a week later, that couple where he puts rose petals on the bed, they're divorced. And you're going, what? Let's face it. Social media is just—it's not real life. It's not real life. The advertisements you see on TV. Drink this potion, this liquid, and you'll suddenly be 44 kilos with a beautiful trim figure, and all you've got to do is drink this for 22 days. Do you believe that? Well, people do, because they go and they buy it. You know? I'm not sure if I believe Since when has belief been a real basis for men, any of the choices most people make today? It's not a really great excuse. I don't know if I believe it. I don't know if I believe it. So... What's so special about the Bible? If I'm going to stand here and tell you that I think in 2018 you need to prioritize this book, what's so special about this book that you should take time out of your world and prioritize this book? I just want to throw a couple of thoughts at you in the remaining few minutes that we have. I'm going to throw some scriptures at you. So if you've got a notepad there, write them down. Don't take my word for it. You take it home, you have a read, and you make sure that what I'm telling you is actually the truth. First of all, the Bible claims to be the word of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. Paul writing to the Romans, he says, What advantage then has the Jew? He's discussing previously, okay, so you've got the Jews here who were the people of God, and then you've got the Gentiles, who's anyone who wasn't Jew, which is most of us in this room. And God came to a point in history where he said, I'm not just for the Jews now. Now I'm going to graft in the Gentiles and open up the, the opportunity for eternal life to everybody, not just the one race of people. And so Paul's talking about the Jews and, and uh, how God still loves the Jews. And they're asking these questions, uh, hypothetical questions to himself along the way. So what advantage then has the Jew or what is the profit of circumcision? He says this much in every way. He says chiefly, primarily, because to them were committed the oracles of God. He's speaking of the Old Testament. Paul, the writer of the book of Romans in the New Testament, Paul, who used to be a a vicious, anti-Christian, anti-church person, not just in the Bible historically, went about murdering people, throwing women and children to lions because he was so anti-Christ, had an encounter with God, becomes a believer in the way, a believer in Jesus, and then he writes two-thirds of what we call now the New Testament. 
letters that he wrote from prison and from different places, right? And eventually he was, was killed for his faith. Went from being so against God to so for God to the point where he actually physically lost his life because he would not deny the existence of Jesus, the existence of God. And here's what he says. He says the thing, main thing about the Jews is that, that they were given the oracles of God. The Old Testament that they had... He didn't just say they were given Old Testament, they were given this book called the Old Testament. He said that was the actual oracles, the actual spoken word of God himself. It was actually the word of God. Matter of fact, if you, if you go back into history, the Old Testament, um, when, the, when the scrolls were written and what they would do then is they didn't have a printing press. So somebody would have to sit there meticulously and, and, and letter for letter, type it, write it out, sorry, on parchment. And it would be rolled up and passed on from generation to generation to generation. They were meticulous about it. What the Old Testament Hebrew scholars used to do is that they didn't... You know how today we write the, space, cat, space, jumped, space, on, space? When they wrote it, they wrote it in one continuous stream because they said the entirety of the whole thing is the word of God. It's not even broken up because the whole thing, because every part of it was important to them, not because of what it said, but because it came from God himself. So the Bible itself claims to be the Word of God. That's what's so special about it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, or for instruction in righteousness. All Scripture. All Scripture. Referring to the written words of God. That stuff, those 66 books that were compiled together through a various series of tests and, and historical uh, uh, presentation and uh, uh, investigation. You didn't just slap books together because somebody claimed it was written from God. They had various tests and things. They put these parchments through to make sure these were authentic. There were many. Everyone was writing. Every time Dick and Harry heard a word from God, they were all right. A bit like today, everyone's hearing from God, you know? But they had a stringent set of rules that a, a group of church, early fathers got together and, and they went through and they said, no, no, we're being led by the Holy Spirit. We're, we're, we've got to put these things through a grid to make sure they're actually accurate so that what we have now is accurate. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. literally means all Scripture was God-breathed. It was breathed by God. Man didn't make this up. It was literally breathed by God. 2 Peter 1, verse 20 to 21 says this, Knowing this first that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy, or the word of God, never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That word moved is the same word used in Acts 27 when it talks about the ship, a, a ship on the ocean being moved by the wind. What it's saying there is that men sat down with their own personalities, their own perspectives, but they were moved along, inspired by God as they wrote. They weren't just sitting down like Robert Ludlum going, I've got a great storyline, I've got my bullet points, I've got a plot, let's follow this. They sat down and they were led to write as God led them to write. Second thing, why the Word of God is so special and why you should make time for it. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living. It's powerful. That word powerful there is, is, is a Greek word where we get our modern-day term energy. Energy. Energes. That's what it comes from. 
The Word of God is living and powerful. It's energetic. It's got life. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. Here's the beautiful thing about, about, about the Word of God. When you read Facebook, guess what? You're reading Facebook. When you read New Idea, you're reading New Idea. When you pick up the Northern Star, you're reading the Northern Star. When you pick up the Bible, you're not just reading the Bible, it's reading you. It's reading you. That's what he's saying. It pierces. It divides soul and spirit. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. We sit there and I read the new idea. I read the stories and some. They're just stories. I get up and move on. I read this book. I can feel it reading me back. Hang on a second. Jeez. I don't live like that. It exposes my pride. It exposes my arrogance. It exposes my self-sufficiency when I get into this book. It gives me perspectives. It helps me see myself in fresh new ways. It's a supernatural thing. Even the way the Bible came about, I mean, think about it. Here it is. 66 separate books, right? They were written over by over 40 separate authors. Over 40 people wrote the 66 books that we now call the Bible. They were written on three continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. Three separate continents, over 40 authors on three separate continents, not connected, not knowing each other, not being able to phone each other and go, look, I've come up with this idea. Can you take it to the next stage for me? I've done chapter one. Can you guys do chapter two? And when you're finished, I've got, here's, here's Joe's email. Get him to do chapter three. Get him next one. It wasn't like that. These guys were unrelated. It was written from palaces, from dungeons, people chained up to walls in prison for their faith. It was written in the wilderness. It was written over a period of, I think, 1,400 years. Think about it. It was written in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. Yet it supports itself, and from start to finish, it tells one continuous story. And that is God's love for mankind, our rejection of God, and what God went through to bring us back. You don't think that's supernatural? I reckon if I just got three of you right now to go to three separate rooms and write a story about anything you want... And let's come together and see if your stories support each other, are coherent, logical. I reckon you'd fail. Not because you're silly. It's just hard to do. I mean, it's hard enough just two parents giving their children the same advice or the same discipline at the same time. We both love our... You You said what? You said... Oh, I said... Oh, what? Imagine pulling that together. Yet we approach it with the same kind of attitude that we do... Women's Day or the Northern Star. This is a supernatural book. It reveals the way to salvation. I was just reminded of this story this morning in Luke chapter 16. The rich man and Lazarus. I didn't give you the scripture here. Luke, but I'll just read it out. There was a certain rich man in in Luke chapter 16. Verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, Fared sumptuously, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores. He was laid at the gate. He wanted to be fed, but um, the rich man wouldn't feed him and so on. So the beggar dies and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. In other words, this beggar guy ends up with, in the place where there's the peace of God And this rich guy who didn't care about the poor and didn't care about anyone but himself ends up separated from God. And he starts going, you know what? Get me out of here. And God says, man, you were on planet Earth. You had your choice. That was your moment. That was your moment. You were on Earth. I gave you X amount of years and you still didn't choose me. And in the end, 
This is where you are. And so he says, rightio, well, I've got brothers. Can you send someone to tell my brothers how bad this place is so they would make the right choices? In verse 29, Abraham says to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that one rise from the dead. This book shows us the way to salvation. When, he, he, when, when Jesus says Moses and the prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament. What he's saying is this. I can give you any kind of experience you want. People sitting here today, you want to, who wants to get to know God better? Who wants to get to know God? Well, you can pray for experiences till the cows come home. What he's saying here is I can even raise from the dead in front of you. It's not going to convince you of nothing. If you don't get your basis of your faith and your belief from Moses and the from the word of God, In New Testament times, if you don't think, if you want to get to know God, get into the Bible. That's how you're going to find God. That's how you're going to understand God. That's how you're going to find the way to salvation, the way to be saved. Get into the Word of God. I hear people say, young people, lots of young people say, I want to know God, I want to know God. And then my first question is, well, why don't you pick up a Bible and read it? No, no, I want to see, you know, the heavens part, and I want the, you know. And Jesus said, man, I I could see, I could raise someone from the dead in front of you. And it won't have the power, the lasting impact in you as picking up this book and reading it and letting it read you will. Letting the Holy Spirit come alive through the pages of this book. That's what we need. We can't live on experiences. I had a friend of mine in Bundaberg who thought that the Christian guy that we used to know, who thought it'd be really cool to start to live for experiences instead of the word of God. He ended up in a mental home with Paul the Apostle appearing to him, giving him words for all the pastors in the town. Lost his marriage, lost his kids, went loopy. Why? Because all of a sudden it became more about experiences and less about the word of God. And he was having all these crazy experiences and not, not going back and going, well, hang on a second, if you were picking this book up straight away, you would know that wasn't God. You would know that can't be God because it goes against everything this Bible talks about, everything the word of God talks about. What did Jesus do when he died and he came back from the dead? And he's walking along and the Bible says that he had his disciples together and he says in the moment after the resurrection, he says he opened their eyes that they would understand the scriptures. He didn't say that he said, right, now let's go. And based on all the miracles and signs and wonders, he walked with them for years, did all kinds of miracles in front of them. And guess what? It is the hour of need. What did they all do? Took off. We've watched you walk on water. That still wasn't enough. We still ran and went back to our fishing boats in our old life. So when Jesus rises from the dead, what's one of the first things he does? The Bible says he opens their eyes that they could understand the scriptures. Because it's in this book that your faith is built. It's in the word of God. It's in consuming and and prioritizing the Bible in your personal life that you'll see growth and you will see things happen. And finally, I'll finish with this. It's the basis for a successful life. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Day and night. Be in the word of God. Meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then, what's going to happen? You'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Read your self-help books. Fantastic. I don't mind because a lot of those guys are getting their advice from here. Go and get the best financial books on the market at the moment, what they're telling you to do with money. And guess what? I'll take the main points and I'll find them for you. They're right in here. Go and find the best health and nutrition stuff you can find in the books in the marketplace. Bring it to me, show me the main points, and I'll show you where it comes out of here. You want the best? Go and get a book on the best relationship stuff you can. Make your marriage the strongest it could ever be. Bring it to me, show me the main points of the book, and I'll show you where they're in here. 
You want to be the best parent? I'll show you where it's in here. Pick it, pick it, pick it. And I'll show you where the basis of it can be found in the Word of God. But we go everywhere else. Two in ten Australians read the Word of God. I want to challenge you this year. If you want to grow in your faith this year, if you want to grow in your character, if you want to grow and strengthen yourself in God this year, you want to finish this year higher up the mountain than what you were at the start. If you don't want to keep stumbling over the same things, let me encourage you. One of the first things you need to do is commit yourself to daily getting into the Word of God. I don't care if it's five minutes. Don't, don't be unrealistic. Don't say, I'm going to read for an hour. No, you won't. You won't go from nothing to an hour. Five minutes. Five minutes. Just start somewhere. When you get out of bed in the morning, resist the urge to pick up Facebook and check your post. Check Instagram. Resist it. Have a Bible near your bed. As soon as you open your eyes, get it or get the Bible on your phone, whatever, and get into it. Just a couple of minutes a day. And, 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 and in 12 months' time, if you have not changed and grown in your faith and understanding, come to me, slap me in the face with a dead fish, and I'll take it. That's how confident I am. But if we'll prioritize the Word of God, then we can strengthen ourselves in God in 2018. Amen? Father, I want to thank you for your word this morning, God. Lord, that book is, uh, it even almost feels embarrassing to call it a book because it's not a book. It's not a book. It's the words of eternal life. It's the words of eternal life. Father, we're not saved by the knowledge of the book. You didn't give us the book just to memorize things. and You gave it to us because it points us to you. But Jesus said, you, you search the scriptures in them, you think you have life. But they point to me, but you won't come to me that you'd have life. So Father, I pray for each of us here, God. I just pray, Holy Spirit, move upon each of our hearts. God, I pray you would stir us up, put a fire in our belly, a passion for the word of God, a passion to get into that book, Lord. It, it, God, if we don't understand it with our natural mind, it doesn't matter. There's spiritual life in it. There's things you won't understand, but there's spiritual truth and reality, and that's what we want on the inside of us, Father. So I pray for each person here as they determine in their hearts to strengthen themselves in that area. I ask the Holy Spirit, get behind that decision, motivate them, push them, stir them up. God, we, what, what an amazing thing it would be to, to come into this church and to say, you know what, everybody. We're a community of people where everybody prioritizes the Word of God. I wonder what that would look like in 2018. I wonder what that would look like in the Northern Rivers. I wonder what that would look like in Ganelaba to have a group of people so passionate about their faith and passionate about the Word of God that they actually prioritize it. They shift and make room and, and all the stuff you've got to do for that to happen, but they actually do it because it's so important to them. God, I pray, let us be that group of people, Father. And Lord, I pray as we go from this place too in the next week. Bless us, God. Uh, look after us. Keep us safe. Uh, Lord, and I pray too in the next seven days, give each of us an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody who does not yet know them. We ask this in your name, Father. Everybody said? Amen. 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 God bless, guys. Have a fantastic uh, rest of your week. We'll see you next week. If you, if you get some time during the week, you want to pop up to the building there. There'll be workers in there. I'm sure you can pop your head in and uh, have a bit of a look.